Well, good morning and welcome back to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. I hope that you are having a wonderful Sunday and I hope you enjoyed our time of singing together this morning. Speaking of which, we hope to see all of you here tonight at 6 p.m. in the parking lot. Again, note that time change will be starting tonight at 6 o'clock. And then as you heard and hopefully you saw the email, next Sunday we're going to have the opportunity to basically offer you three different options, one of which being here uh, with some safety guidelines in place, one of which of course we're going to continue with our online service and then next Sunday night we'll be back together again. So I hope that you guys are just as excited as I am about being able to finally start to get back together in person. It'll be great to see you and fellowship and just spend some time together as a church family. So this morning we are going to jump back into our lesson series that's kind of coming to a tail end here in a couple of weeks. Um, but we've been talking through this series called Unsung Heroes of the Bible. And if you haven't been with us, that's, that's okay. Uh, but you have an opportunity to go out to any of our social media platforms or even our YouTube channel, and you can see any of those previous sermons as well. But what we're going to be looking at is last week we did a series or a sermon on the book of Ruth and Ruth's story and some things that we could take away from her. And today we're going to shift gears just a little bit, and we are going to talk about Gideon. Now, Gideon has a really cool story, and if you're like me, maybe up until recently you didn't know a whole lot about the story of Gideon. We're going to hit some of the highlights of those here this morning, but more importantly, we're going to look at what are some things that we can learn from Gideon's life. What are maybe some things that we can apply from his story to our own story, which will hopefully bring us even closer and closer to Jesus Christ. So let's jump in. So why Gideon, you may be asking? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. But Gideon, his life reveals many lessons on how we can submit to God's will and purpose. And again, that's really what it's all about. And as well, you'll see as we walk through the story, this is something that Gideon struggled with. And this might be something that you're struggling with. I know it's something that I've struggled with in the past. But maybe by looking at Gideon's story, this will help us to not have those same types of problems. So let's kind of set the stage a little bit. And I want to encourage you when you have time, go back to Judges chapter 6 through 8 and read this entire story. Because unfortunately, in the next 25 minutes or so, I can only unpack a little bit of this. But I want to encourage you, if you want to get the full story and see all of the details, you can find this in Judges chapter 6 through chapter 8. And it really is a really cool story. But for those of you who may not be familiar with the story of Gideon, I'm going to hit some of the high points for you. This was another one of these times we see in the Old Testament where the Israelites had turned away from God. If you're, if you're an Old Testament scholar, if you spent very much time at all in the Old Testament, you know that there's this recurring theme with the Israelites where they go from really following God and being close to God to worshiping idols. Well, in this story, once again, we found that the Israelites have stopped following God and have started worshiping idols. And because of that, there's a famine on the land. And you need to know that as part of the important backdrop of this story. Because see, if we don't really understand the backdrops of the story, if we don't understand the time and the place and who it was written to, it can make it a little bit challenging to truly understand all of these moving pieces. So God had basically placed a famine on their land. And when they grew crops, what would happen is they would plant and they would do all the work on this. And then the Midianites would come in and sweep through and take all of the crops and all of the hard work that they had been doing. Now, God decided, okay, I've punished them enough basically at this point, And I'm going to go ahead and redeem the people of Israel 
but he needed to remind them who was in charge. And he does this in our story by defeating this Midianite army or allowing Gideon to defeat the Midianite army. So we'll get to that in just a moment. But God said he's going to save these people through basically a very unlikely source. And you'll see why I say unlikely in just a moment. He, God performed miracles for Gideon to help him see the power of God. Now, Gideon also gathered up an army to fight. God basically comes in and says, no, 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 that's not what I had in mind, and reduces this size to really focus, again, on God's power and God's will and not man's. And then Gideon, of course, in the end comes in and surprises him. So a little bit of a spoiler alert there for you. But again, I think there's some really important lessons that we can learn from Gideon as we move through this story. So let's jump into our first point, And that is that God truly sees the best in everyone. Now, I want you to think about that for just a minute. I want you to think about how this works in your life and how this works in my life. Because I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I say, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. Whatever the case may be, we start to doubt the gifts that God has given us. Gideon is a great reminder that God doesn't just see those parts of our lives. God sees the best in everyone that he created. And what we're going to find here is a very strange introduction to the story of Gideon, especially knowing that little brief overview that I just gave you, because again, you kind of know how the story ends. But Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, just to give you a little bit of a context, because we don't do a whole lot of wheat threshing here in Southern California, but this is generally something you would have done out in the open, out in a field, out in a, an open space. But because Gideon was afraid, he was actually in a wine press doing his work or going about the business of threshing wheat. So if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to start in Judges chapter 6, and we're going to start to kind of unpack this story, and we're going to start to unpack some of these lessons. And we're going to start in verse 12. It says, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, just from what I've told you already about Gideon, we've gotten a little bit of insight into who Gideon is. So you can imagine at this point, when God came, when God sent the angel down and the angel called him a mighty warrior, Gideon was probably going, wait a minute, did you just call me a mighty warrior? You know, that would be like if somebody called me tall. Unfortunately, I'm not tall. But Gideon was probably like, wait a minute, that, that doesn't make any sense. And then the angel goes on to say that God is with us. And Gideon is probably, his mind is racing. Not only did he just get visited by an angel or spoken to by an angel, but the angel is saying things that just aren't quite adding up to Gideon. So let's go ahead and jump ahead. And we're going to pick up in verse 13 in just a moment. Gideon was quick to respond to the angel, right? Because the angel called him a mighty warrior, said, God is with us. And this is what Gideon comes back with. He says, uh, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. It says, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all of his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. See, Gideon lacked the faith that he needed, that God can and will save his people. And again, we're getting kind of a glimpse into who Gideon kind of was when the angel first approached him. He wasn't sure of himself. He wasn't sure of his abilities. And he wasn't sure that God was able to do the things that God was saying that he can do. So you can imagine, coming from Gideon's standpoint, 
how he's feeling at this time when the angel comes down and basically says, hey, you're a mighty warrior who's going to do great things. And Gideon's going, whoa, 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 wait just a minute. I think you've got this wrong. That's not who I am. And I'm not even real sure that God is with us anymore. Because remember, they've been going through this period of famine and this period where the Midianites have defeated them over and over again, which is leading to Gideon to have some doubts and leading Gideon to think, I just don't know about my place or what God can and will do in this situation. But let's pick up in Judges 6, verse 15. And it says, uh, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of that family. So here again, Gideon is saying, wait a minute, I think you got the wrong guy. Not only are we the weakest family in this tribe or in this village or in this, this grouping of people, but I'm the weakest of those even. He's basically saying, God, you've got the wrong person. Why have you tapped me on the shoulder for this? This is not something that I can do. This is not something that I'm sure about. Because see, he lacked faith and godly confidence. He lacked that faith that God could use him in a powerful way. But again, God sees the best in all of us. And see, that's such an important lesson for us to remember. Because I know that, again, I've had times in my life where I say, God, I'm just, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I can't do this. I I know you want to use me in this powerful way, but I just don't think I can do it. And see, sometimes we just have to get out of our own way and let God use us in the way that he can and will use us because we know that God can and will use anyone. And that's what this whole series that we've been talking about for the last five weeks is all about. The fact that God can use even the most unlikely people to advance the kingdom. And here we see what he's trying to do in the life of Gideon. So let's let's jump out of Judges for just a moment. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 through 29. So now we're jumping into 1 Corinthians. So Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. And here's here's what he writes. It says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. It says, not many of you were wise by human standards, not many influential, Not many were of noble birth. It says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It says, God chose the weak. God chose, excuse me, God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It says, God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. It says, so that no one may boast before him. This is a great reminder from Paul that that God can and will and does use anyone, regardless of their place in life, regardless of their background. And we see this throughout the Bible, and we see this throughout Scripture, and we've seen it for the last four weeks, of God using prostitutes and God just using unlikely people to advance the kingdom. And this is a great reminder from Paul, even in the New Testament, that God does that. That he uses the least. He uses the people that by human standards may not be the people you would think that he would use. But that's exactly who God chooses. And I think this this scripture, even though it's in the New Testament, it was written very long after by Paul, we still see this is a great example of exactly what he's doing through the life of Gideon. So let's look at our second thing that we can learn from Gideon. And the second thing that we can learn from Gideon is that idols are nothing. 
Now, this is important because, as I mentioned earlier, we see a pattern throughout the Old Testament. We see a pattern throughout the Old Testament of over and over and over again, the Israelites didn't think that God was enough, and they wanted to kind of hedge their bets. And they wanted to worship these other idols and these other beings to kind of hedge their bets, just in case God can't really do what he says he's going to do, that we're going to, we're going to worship these other gods so we can take advantage of what they can offer as well. The first task that Gideon was actually given was to destroy the altar of Baal. Now, that's important because you have to remember that this is, Baal was someone who was worshipped throughout the Old Testament. But specifically, if you don't understand who Baal is, this may not make sense to you. Now, Baal was the fertility god. And that means a couple of different things. It means that if they worshipped Baal, they were likely to have a good and a fruitful crop, or at least that's what they thought. It also meant fertility from the standpoint of that they were able to have children who were able to work the land, who were able to grow the crops. So it's understandable that during a time of famine, at a time that they just didn't have enough to eat, that they're trying to hedge their bets and they're trying to worship idols. But we know what God says about serving no other God before him. But apparently they'd forgotten this very important aspect. So, he, he did this, and, and he did this in the cover of night. And again, we're kind of moving ahead in the story because I don't have time to read the whole thing for you this morning. But basically, he went and he tore down the statue of Baal in the middle of the night. Because remember, we're talking about Gideon, and what we've seen so far is he's not the bravest guy we've ever met. So he does it in the middle of the night. Now, the next day, when the people find out what he had done, they want to put Gideon to death. They were so furious that he had torn down this statue that they were actually wanting to put Gideon to death. Now, why is that important? It shows you just how far away from God these people had made, or had made it, had gone. They've gone so far away from God that they're so angry about their statue to a false god being torn down that they wanted to put Gideon to death for that. So what they did is they actually went to Gideon's father to basically say, hey, bring him out so that we can kill him. So let's see where this goes in our story. In Judges chapter 6, again, we're jumping ahead to verse 31. So back in Judges chapter 6, verse 31 says, But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him. He says, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god... He can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. It says, so because Gideon broke down the altar, they gave him the name Jerob Baal that day, saying, let Baal come, or excuse me, let Baal contend with him. So they're basically saying, look, if this, if this God, this false God, this Baal is so powerful, Baal will take care of himself. And they're actually going to give Gideon a different name to basically mock them, to basically throw it in their face that that is not the one true and living God. So they went to the father of Gideon and he says, hey, really? Really? You're going to stand up for the false idol? You're willing to kill Gideon over a false idol? Over something you never should have been doing in the first place? But see, that's the power that idols tend to have. See, as Christians, we can only worship the one true and living God, our Father who is in heaven. 
and Jesus Christ. And they're the only ones, right? They're the only ones who truly lived and have the power over life and death. The only ones, the only people that we should be worshiping. Idols are nothing but a sign of our rebellion against God. Now, some of you are saying, I'm good then, because I don't have a statue of Baal in my house. I don't have a statue of Buddha in my house. I don't have a statue of whatever it may be in my house. So I'm good. I don't worship idols. But let's remember what idols means today, because it means today a little bit different than what it's meant in the past or what it meant in our story. See, we have to remember that idols are anything that puts a, puts a wedge between us and God. That might be our jobs. That might be our relationships. That might be our hobbies. It could be any number of things, but anything that places a wedge between you and God is an idol. Anything that has taken priority over God is an idol. Maybe you play sports instead of attending church. Or maybe you don't have time to read your Bible or to read devotionals or to spend time in the Word because of your hobbies, whatever those may be. Whatever that is has become an idol to you, and you've put that that in front of God. And see, that's where idols become a problem. Again, I'm not saying you can't have hobbies and you can't have activities and you shouldn't have a family. Those things are all great but it shouldn't come before your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when it does, it's an idol. If we jump over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, and I know we're kind of jumping back and forth, New Testament, Old Testament, but this tells you the importance of what we're trying to say here this morning. In Colossians chapter 3 verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. It's that last three words of that verse, which is idolatry. We're reminded in Colossians that when you put anything before God, you've created an idol. And you're worshiping that idol instead of God. And we know how that works out for the Israelites throughout Scripture. Let's jump on to point number three. And this is our our third takeaway or our third thing that we can learn from the story of Gideon. And that's that God is willing to help increase our faith. Now, we know that, that Gideon was a faithful man, right, in the end, who deserves to be kind of in that hall of fame of faith. But he wasn't always like that. As we've read so far, it didn't start out that way. But see, when we let God into our lives, he can do powerful things, and he can truly transform us into the person that he needs us to be. And that's exactly what we see in the life of Gideon. He was a man of little faith, of little confidence, of little courage, of little trust in God. But yet God did amazing things through him. He ends up leading him into battle to win the war, to do amazing things for God's people. But it didn't start out that way. But see, he let God in. And when you let God in, God can do amazing things because he can increase those things he's already started in your life. God saw Gideon as an unfinished product. He knew that that Gideon was better 
than that person that he found who was so afraid, even when doing his own job, that he hid in a wine press to thresh the wheat. He knew that that wasn't who Gideon really was. Now notice what I said about an unfinished product. And I'm going to argue that that's exactly where you and I stand today. We're an unfinished product. Because see, God can and God will use us in an even more powerful way if we'll just invite him in and do the things he's pressing us to do. But see, we have to answer the call and we have to say yes. And we have to be willing to do those things. And God will provide the increase. Some, some of us have heard the, we've heard the saying of putting on the fleece. I don't know if you've heard this saying or not. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Uh, but, but putting on the fleece, this actually comes from this story of Gideon. See, the angel visiting Gideon apparently was not enough for Gideon. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about you. If an angel comes down and visits me and starts giving me a message from God, that's going to be enough for me. I'm going to say, okay, cool, what do you need me to do? Now, as we've seen throughout Scripture, and you look back through Scripture, these meetings between people and angels were probably pretty intense. It was probably something that made you kind of stand up and take notice. I don't think it was, you know, the angel with the wings and the halo floating down in a ray of light. I think when these messengers came, it was something that was, that was serious, and it was something that was important. Now, if an angel comes and visits me, I, I, I'm good. But the angel came and visited Gideon, and it wasn't enough for Gideon to still have faith and believe in God. So he's going to ask for something. We're going to jump to Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 36. It says, Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, it says, Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. We jump ahead to verse 38. It says, and that is what happened. It says, Gideon rose early on the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl of water. And then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more little request. It says, allow me one more test with the fleece. It says, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. It says that night God did so. Only the fleece was dry, all of the ground covered with dew. So the angel came down and that wasn't enough. He asked God for a sign, which God obliged and gave to him, and that wasn't enough. So then he actually asked for another sign. <laughs> Again, this is giving you some insight into who Gideon really was and the lack of confidence that he had in God and the lack of faith that he had in God early on in our story because he, he needs to see some proof. Have you ever been there? ever been to that point where you feel like you need God to prove that he's still there and that he's still powerful? I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been at that point in my life where I'm like, God, where are you in this situation? Where are you in this story? And Gideon needed to see that. And God wanted to use Gideon and he was willing to do that. So he does this multiple 
times. An unshakably and strong faith is something that has been tested over and over and over again. And that's how we develop that strong, unwielding faith is when we make it through those tests and we keep our focus on God. And that's what Gideon did. Let's jump ahead to verse 4. It says, The few we have become many by God. Now see, Gideon was told to, get to, to recruit an army, to put together an army, and he does. He gets 32,000 men to join this army. And I'm sure he was feeling pretty good about that, and he was feeling pretty good about himself, and then God says, uh, by the way, Gideon, uh, that's way too many guys. Now, we're thinking, right, we're thinking in today's standards, the more people you have, the better. The more people you have, the better your chances of victory. But that's not the way that God operates. God's like, eh, Gideon, that's too many. I need you to cut that down a little bit. So Gideon does something kind of funny. He says, uh, okay, here's the deal, guys. If any of you are afraid to go to war with the Midianites, you can go ahead and leave. Well, as you can imagine, they did. To the tune of about 22,000 of his men left and said, nah, I think we're good. Now, keep in mind, they'd seen the Midianites come in and conquer them over and over and over again. So these guys were probably like, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. I don't need to go there. So now he's got 10,000, and Gideon's probably still feeling pretty good about that. I got 10,000 guys. I'm probably good. And God says, eh, that's probably still a little too much, Gideon. I need you to cut that down a little bit. Now, imagine what's going on in Gideon's mind. He's going, wait a minute. I, I want to win. So the more people I have, the better. But see, that's not how God operates. God says, no, 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 I, I need you to trim that down again. So they go down to the river, and anybody that drank from the river was dismissed from the army. So now we're down to 300 people. We're down to just 300 people in this army of Gideon. Because what God wanted is God wanted everyone to know that the reason they won the war was because of him and his power, not because of men. Because, see, if they'd have stormed in there 32,000 strong, people would have just said, oh, that was a very powerful army, and they came marching on through, and they did their thing. But that's not what God wanted. Because, see, God wanted not only the people that were defeated, but everybody else to know what he had done, that he took 300 people in and defeated this powerful army. Not because of Gideon, not because of man, but because of God. They had this battle, this brilliant battle he goes through. And I encourage you to read that story. It's actually kind of cool the way they talk about the story and the way they talk about how, how Gideon was able to defeat that army. But they conquered the army with just 300 people, led by a man who many considered to be the least, who many considered to be a coward, who many considered to be weak. But God used him with a tiny army to go defeat this powerful army. Because see, the few we have becomes many with God. <coughs> Excuse me. The true and just like in this story, the true followers of God are few. They're few. There are a lot of people out there who profess to be Christians and who profess to follow Jesus Christ. But when we look at the people that are actually doing that, that are actually following God's word and doing the very best that they can to be Christ-like, that number is way smaller than the number of people who profess to be Christians. If you remember a while back, we did a series on, uh, on, on 
resilient disciples. Well, that's what we're talking about. Those numbers are few. They're not the majority. They're few. And we can see this throughout Scripture. We can see in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, how the followers were compared to a little flock. And that might be true. But God has promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And we see that, of course, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, that we may be few, but just like this small army of Gideon, we're going to be mighty when it, in the end. And we're going to be mighty when it counts. And we're going to be able to withstand the powers of evil. See, God can always help us turn our weakness into our strength. All right, let's look at the last one. I'm running out of time here, so we'll go through this relatively quickly, but that's to let God rule your life and not man. Now, I'm not talking about predestination. I'm not talking about those types of things. I'm talking about letting God be in control of your life and not men and not society and not culture. Let God be in charge of our lives. See, Gideon had this epic victory over the Midianites. And the... the, the the word of this, of this victory, of this amazing things that God had done, had spread throughout the land of Israel. To the point that Gideon kind of became this superstar. He, he kind of became this, this Instagram famous guy back in the day, right? That everybody wanted to know and everybody wanted to follow. To the point that they looked up to him and wanted him to be the king. They, wanted to, they, they said, Gideon, if you did these amazing things, if you're that close to God that he can use you in this powerful way, you should be our new leader. You should be our new king. In Judges chapter 8, verse 22, it says, The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us from the hand of Midian. It would have been easy at this point for Gideon to let that go to his head. And say, well, yeah, I am this famous guy. I am this all-powerful guy. I am this guy that God used in a mighty way. I should be the king. But that's not what he does. Let's look at how he responds to this in Judges chapter 8, verse 23. It says, but Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Not man, not society, not the people. God ruled over him, and Gideon got that. Through this whole thing, he could have come out of this lacking in humility and saying, yes, I am great, and I do amazing things, and look at what I did. I should be the king, but he doesn't. Because just as Christ did, he showed humility and said, no, 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 you're not going to worship me. You worship God. See, Gideon saw something that the Israelites did not. And it's the same reason they had this vicious cycle of being punished by God and by their enemies over and over and over again. See, they'd lost sight of the one true God. They'd lived their lives by sight and not by faith. See, the Israelites had lost focus they stopped letting God be in control of their lives and started letting idols and other people be in control of their lives. And it led them down this path to over and over again be defeated by their enemies. We know that's not the path that God had planned for them, but they just kept veering off the path. 
See, the problem comes when we start to put our trust and confidence in man instead of God. Put our trust and our confidence in man instead of God, and it leads us down the wrong path. We're bound to commit mistakes, and we're bound to have failures. But we can be assured that God is never far away, and God will never fail us. See, when we let God rule our lives, he's going to put us on that path and keep us on that path and multiply our faith and use us in a mighty and powerful way. We can be assured that in God's fullness, we have everything that we need. So let's look at our takeaways. Let's look at where do we go from here? What do we do with this story of Gideon? And these are the things that I want you to remember. See, Gideon reminds us how men and women, insignificant in the eyes of man or insignificant in the eyes of society, can rise and become great in the eyes of God. Insignificant. When we, read it, when we read the passage from 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that these people were not people that were high and mighty, people that you would have expected God to use. But he can use us and he will. No matter what the situation we may be in now, God will eventually work things out for our good. See, God works for the good of all of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that. And even though we may not see it at the time and we may not understand it at the time and you may be suffering and you may be seeing hardships and you're thinking, where is God and why isn't God here? God is always there. We just have to look for him and be patient and wait for him. And last but not least, be patient. Put your faith in God always. So I hope that we'll take some of these things that we learned from Gideon today and we'll be able to apply these to our own lives and have that faith in God, and have that courage, and be able to just be open to letting God multiply the talents that he's given us, the faith that he's given us, and the trust that he's given us. And I hope that you'll do that today. Now, maybe you're at home this morning, and you've never had a chance to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and put him on in baptism. We want to let you know that even though the church building may be closed, we would be happy to make an appointment with you, to bring you up, and we can baptize you for the remission of your sins. We can baptize you so that you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, just as Jesus was baptized. Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but maybe like Gideon, you've started to question where God was or if God would do what he really wanted to do. And maybe today is the day that you need to get your life back on track and recommit your life to Jesus. If we can help you do that, if we can pray for you, if there's anything at all we can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out. There's no reason to go another day without being in a right relationship with our Lord and Savior. We're going to go ahead and sing the next song that's been selected and give you an opportunity to just think about this and make any decisions that you may need to make this morning. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow at your throne. In worship you will be exalted, O God. And your kingdom shall not pass away, O ancient of days. O ancient of days. Well, once again, we want to thank you for joining us 
at the Mission Viejo Church of Christ, and we hope that you'll be able to join us tonight for our Sunday evening devotional at 6 o'clock online for our midweek services or next weekend live here in person. So again, thank you so much for being with us, and please join me in a word of closing prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this opportunity that we had to come together today to start off our week by just lifting up songs of praises and prayers to you and learning another portion of your word. Heavenly Father, help us to be like Gideon. Help us to just allow you to work in and through us to do amazing things. Heavenly Father, we ask that you be with our church family wherever they may be. Help to keep them safe, help to heal them, and help, help to bring them back at the next appointed hour. Most of all, Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son not because we were deserving, but out of your great love for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to seeing you soon. Wonderful, so wonderful is your unfailing love. Your cross has spoken mercy over me. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart could fully know. How glorious, how beautiful you are. Beautiful one I love, beautiful one I adore, beautiful one my soul. Your mighty works displayed for all to see. All to see. The beauty of your majesty awakes my heart to see. How marvelous, how wonderful you are.